Uh, church, let's rise up and sing his glorious praise today. Glorious is thy name, O Lord. Blessed Savior, we adore thee. We thy love and grace proclaim. Thou art mighty, thou art holy. Glorious is thy matchless name. God, may we bow before you and sing your glorious praise to the praise of your glorious grace, as we're going to hear in a moment. And uh, Lord, <clears throat> we just pray that you would lead us in a, a John 4 experience of worshiping you in spirit and in truth, and that we would walk away from this place, changed more into the image of Christ as we've studied your word and as we've given you all honor and glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, please be seated and uh, take one of these connection cards. And please fill that out. Maybe maybe you're the first or second time attender, uh, or maybe you've been here a while and you just haven't filled one of these out yet because you don't want us to quite know about you. And but but it's time, okay? So uh, please fill one of these out and uh, put that in the offering plate. And praise the Lord, uh, we we just received two new families uh, today. I think you're going to meet one of them here at the end of the service today. So, so uh, the Lord is is really sending people our way, and we just give Him all praise for that. So we'd like to know more about you if you are a guest with us today. Um, we're going to uh, to we we talked about giving the Lord praise for His glorious grace, and so or to the praise of His glorious grace, and that's what this next song. Uh, does as we as we sing it together maybe one of our most beloved songs amazing grace amazing 
Amen. For season of prayer today, go ahead and please be seated. And I'm going to ask Ronnie to come and share with us. Good morning. I'm Ronnie Scheibler. I'm chairperson of the missions committee. And normally you would see Blake up here, who is our missions pastor, but he is teaching Sunday school during this service. And uh, last week was set aside as a prayer for the persecuted church. And uh, due to the election, um, the church decided that we would have our emphasis in praying for our nation. So today we're going to take a few moments and uh, pray for our brothers and sisters across the world that, um, who can't meet in, and will have to meet in private um, for fear that they might be beaten, uh, put in prison, separated from their families, or just other hardships that, uh, that come with their choice in following Jesus Christ. Thank you. 
As I was thinking this week about uh, Ephesians, the first several verses, we hear what at least four times in Christ, in Him, in Christ, in Christ. And I was just, that brought to mind uh, Colossians 1. For sake of time, we won't read it all, but it references Christ as the image of the invisible God. Christ is the head of the body, the church. Christ is the beginning. Christ is preeminent. Amen. And uh, this song helps us to remember this uh, passage from Colossians. And let's sing it together. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. He is the first, the last, the one who matters most. He is creator, ruling sustainer of all. He holds it all together. He is the word of God, the hope of all. Highest of all we 
story. Listen for it to unfold. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. Son of God gave his 
The Apostle Paul said these words in Philippians 2, verses 9 and 10. Therefore God has highly exalted him and has given him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. And The Bible goes on to say in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Catch that. Every knee bowing, every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Thus, today in our text, we move to the preeminent, ultimate reason, purpose for God saving mankind. And that is the purpose of that our God will receive the glory. Did you notice in Philippians 2, 9 through 10, that's the way it reads. So that, in order that, God may receive the glory. So the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, That we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of His will. And our text today, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. We began in verse 3 talking about election and the fact that it is a fact in the Bible. He chose us. Subject, he chose, verb, us. Direct object. Fact of election. Then we discussed the nature of election. 
It's not in us that we were chosen. It's not anything about us. No merit on our part. He chose us in Christ. He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. And then we talked about the time of our election. We were not even around. And the only thought you were in anybody's mind was in the thoughts of God. And he chose you in him before the foundation of the world. And then we have been unpacking the purposes of election, which are given in this text. Why did he choose you? So that you would be holy and blameless before him in love. He chose you to make you holy and blameless. Which entails that before he chose you and made you holy and blameless, you were unholy and blameworthy. The Bible says, for a righteous man one might scarcely die. But we... While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah for such a great salvation. And then we saw another purpose, and that purpose was adoption. And we unpacked the word predestination last week to predestine. We we looked at that. We talked about adoption. And today, again, we hit the most important purpose of God saving any sinner at any time throughout all of history. And verse 6 says, it is to the praise of His glorious grace. Just like Philippians 2, 9 through 10. He does what He does through Christ in order that God will receive the glory. This is not only written in the New Testament. You understand that even all of the Old Testament points toward one reason for God Almighty to act. And that is for His, one main reason. And that is for His glory. It's given over and over in the Word of God. Now, question. After we read things like adoption and to the praise of His glory, why would God adopt us? Why would God be moved to take into His family, take us into His family, so that we would actually be called the children of God? Why would He freely take us into His family and make us His own? Question two, who would you adopt? Who would you adopt? The kids in the orphanage with big smiles and pretty eyes? How about the ones over in the corner who are fighting and lashing out at one another? Would you adopt the ones with a compliant disposition or the one who acts ugly and screams and fights and bites? Here is the glory of adoption. We have Satan's orphanage, and it is filled with the orphan children of Adam. And there is not one cute one in the entire bunch. As a matter of fact, they are all biting, biting, kicking, screaming, and fighting. Let's let Paul tell us your condition before Jesus. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Orphanage doesn't look too good. All of us, children of wrath. Notice the scripture in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Think about those words, folks, in this orphanage. 
that the God of eternity stepped into to adopt his people. Separated, alienated strangers. I could read extensively in Pauline theology all the way through the Bible to tell you your condition. But I want you to stop and think for a moment. All in Adam's orphanage had a bad record and a bad heart. Every single one of us. Bad record, bad heart. That is what the Word of Almighty God teaches. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart, bad record, bad heart. The God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ steps into this orphanage and he begins to adopt his children. And the ultimate reason is found in verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, the best translation is according to the good pleasure of his will in verse 5. Notice this. According to the purpose of his will. That word purpose is defined with pleasure. In other words, it delighted God to save you. He did it. He stepped into this orphanage not being coerced in any way possible. He steps into this orphanage of Adam's fallen race. And he does this and selects and chooses and adopts and predestines. He does all of this because he's delighted to do it. He does it for the pleasure of his will. So this is the standard or the norm of why he predestined us to adoption. The standard of his will. The pleasure of his will. He saved you and adopted you because of the good pleasure of his will. Could we all not say today, based on the strength of Scripture, that his good pleasure is his will? And could we not say that his will is his good pleasure? Thus, the psalmist will say, our God is in the heavens and he does whatever pleases him. And then the psalmist will say in Psalm 135, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. So the Lord's will is nothing less than his good pleasure. And his good pleasure is nothing less than his will. I want to remind you that he does not act from internal restraint. As if he's boxed in. Mm. You are. And I am. But our God is not. He's not trapped by some unseen situation. Because he is totally sufficient. And he's totally satisfied in himself. Everything our God does is free and uncoerced. Sam Cathy, my favorite evangelist that ever lived, once said, Has it ever occurred to you that nothing occurs to God? What a statement. God's actions and deeds are from the overflow of his joy. He does these things for his own good pleasure. Nothing outside of him coerces his choices or his deeds. He's not bound by anything, anybody, anyone at any time. Period. God chose you and adopted you because he wanted to. God took pleasure in choosing you and adopting you as sons and daughters. God delights in taking damned, doomed, and hell-bound sinners. And then lavishing his grace upon them. And then elevating you to the status of not being an orphan anymore, but a son and a daughter of God. That's your status. Every time a lost sinner comes to faith in Jesus Christ, God is greatly praised. 
He does it to the praise of His glorious grace. Okay, so we're at point three, right? You remember the outline? Blameless, holy and blameless, adoption. And here we are at the final ultimate reason. God chose us to the praise of His glorious grace. So, we can look at it like this. If the standard or the reason for God choosing us and predestining us, predestining us and adopting us is the good pleasure of His will, which the text says, then the ultimate purpose of His pleasure is that He will be praised. Does that make sense? He, he does it according to the good pleasure of His will, but the end result, in purpose, uh, ultimate reason, is that God alone will be praised. What is the good pleasure of God's will? It is that he will be praised. He will be magnified, extolled, exalted, and glorified. God does what he does in his will to be praised. God walks into the orphanage of Adam's fallen race according to the good pleasure of his will. And he adopts his children so that by God's grace we would praise Jesus. It's only right that God does what he does since he is God in order that he would be praised. Would anybody disagree with that? That's why he does what he does. Because he is God. Now what does it mean to use that phrase to the praise of his glorious grace? What does it mean to say to the praise? We have to stop and ask ourselves that question. It means to the recognition of. It means to the exaltation of. It means to the fame of him. Grace, praise to his glory. Glory, to the praise of His glorious grace, the noun form of glorious is what? Glory. So we have to stop and ask, well, what does that word mean? And often in the Bible, it is described as the manifestation of God's presence among His people. Most importantly, it refers to God's saving presence. Now, God doesn't have to reveal Himself at all, right? Uh, just, when he come, just like when He came down on Mount Sinai in all of His Shekinah glory of God and you remember how Moses had to veil his face and the glory of God was upon him. It's often described as a brilliant light. So, when we put together the manifestation of God's character and you put together God coming down in presence with his people, think about this, then God's grace is truly glorious would actually mean that it reflects his glory and his revealed character, and is therefore worthy of praise. In other words, grace describes the character of God coming down to save mankind. Thus, ultimately, we ought to all praise God for amazing grace. That God would come down, that he would meet with us and display his glory. So therefore, if God's choice of men and women to be his sons and daughters arises from grace, you can't make this mean anything else. To the praise of his glorious grace. So therefore, if God's choice of men and women to be his sons and daughters arises from grace, then the final goal of predestination is that it might rebound and resound to the praise of his glorious grace. Straight from the Bible, right? God adopted you folks so that you could join the choir. Yes, he did. Read Revelation 5. That's what you see in glory. You, you hear the seraphic antiphonal singing. of Worthy is the Lamb. And that's what the angels are doing right now before the King. And when God saves sinners, 
In like manner, the culmination of the redemptive plan, the redemptive drama, what God is doing through all the ages in redeeming a people, is that that people will give Him praise. Why? Because God Almighty deserves our praise. That's why He saved sinners, so that He might receive the praise. God went into this wretched orphanage. By the way, not to sing praise is a heart problem. Now, I know that all of life is worship. But folks, there's way too much in the Bible about singing and praising God for you to get off the hook. You can't do that. Why do you think the scripture says the very rocks shall cry out in your place? I don't want the rocks to cry out in my place, you. So, I can't help but think that if you're sullen and sulky and absent of joy, then you don't understand your salvation. It's impossible. Amen? It's impossible to be saved by grace through faith. And God made you unto his praise. It's impossible for you to be a sullen, stagnant, deadbeat Christian. Somebody's actually agging me on. For you to be in the doldrums of your own self is so self-centered. You are not the reason and purpose for salvation. God is. We need to give him praise. Thank him for it. Why do you think John Newton wrote a song like Amazing Grace? How sweet the sound. If you read about his history, you'll see why. That's why it made grace so amazing. Our God desires to be marveled at and exalted. Uh, David and I did not talk about this song. But he chose it. And the one he did was grace that is greater than all of our sins. Match marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace. Marvelous, isn't it? Grace that is greater than all of our sin. I would say that nothing delights our God more than to hear His children echo His praise for His grace. To the praise of His glorious grace. Peter O'Brien says it was God's intention that his free and glad choice of men and women to be his sons and daughters might rebound to the praise of his glorious grace. Is grace a theme in Paul's writings? When you get over to 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I am who I am because of the grace of God. Right? I would have no salvation, no calling, no apostleship, nothing apart from God's grace. But here in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5, Notice what the Bible says about grace. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. How about verse 8? For by grace are you, you have been saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Do you see why we ought to praise His glorious grace? Do you see why Paul talks about grace so much. The very forgiveness of our trespasses is in accordance to the riches of His grace. You see this on down in the text that we're actually reading. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. We ought to praise God for grace. That God reached out to save sinners. Ill-deserving sinners. Notice the noun glory is given an adjectival usage. It says, to the praise of His glorious grace. Think about this. Notice the noun given. 
as an adjective. It asserts that God's salvation is truly glorious. We were orphaned, as we've said, in Adam, and now we're the children of the great king. That's something we ought to praise God for. Do y'all remember what your heart was like when you trusted Christ? Do you remember what, do you know what your heart is like today? We look into the mirror of the Word of God and uh, we realize the condition of our hearts, don't we? When we look into the mirror of the Word of God, we certainly see an ugly orphan most of the time. Don't we? He took you in so that you might praise Him. He took you in so that you would be a child of the King. Another song, since we do hear the word praise in this particular text, one of my favorite hymns is called Praise to the Lord Almighty. Praise to the Lord the Almighty. Y'all know that song? Okay. Listen to verse 4. <clears throat> praise to the Lord, O let all that is in me adore Him. All that hath life and breath come now with praises before Him. Listen to this verse. Let the amen sound from his people again. I beg for amens in here, don't I? But your heart ought to say amen to God. It ought to sound forth praises to God because he saved your soul. Think about this. Why did God choose us unconditionally? Not of our own merit, but on Christ's merit. And why did he do it freely and sovereignly? He did all of this so that he would be praised throughout the ages. That God alone would get the glory. This is about who does what in salvation. This is about who gets the glory in one's salvation. Turn over to 1 Corinthians. The terminology Paul uses here is different language. But I hope it captures your attention. What was God's ultimate purpose in calling you and electing you? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. First Corinthians 1, 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, not because of you, but because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Curios, the Lord himself. So, what is God's ultimate purpose in calling you and electing you? It is that our boast will be in him and in him alone. We like to talk about, to God alone be the glory. Do you really, really believe that? That to him alone is the glory? To God alone, I would remind you that this expression, to God alone be the glory, is something that I pray God emblazes upon your heart so that it actually becomes the plumb line of truth in, the regard, in regard to how you access what people say when they claim to give you the truth. In other words, 
Who are they giving the praise and glory to? It's pretty simple to listen to some sermons that are out there and figure that out. If it lands in your court, and man is the center of salvation, and the center of reality, the center of the world, the center of the gospel plan, then we've missed it. The reality is God is the center of it all. The reality is that God alone should be praised and glorified. This is what the text of Ephesians does. Are y'all, is it pretty obvious that beginning in verse 3 down through verse 14, who ought to get the praise? Right? Verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our salvation, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His. The Bible gives repetition for a reason. And three times in this text, we're reminded that salvation is to the praise of His grace, to the praise of His glory, and to the praise of His glory. Notice next the phrase, which He blessed us. Y'all see it in the text? To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us us. Do you know what word is found in that word blessed? It is charis. Anybody know what that word is? Grace. So the real translation is to the God who has graced us. It's the same word favor that's used when the Bible says that Mary was favored of God. Chosen, favored of God. And so It's interesting that as soon as Paul starts talking about grace, he all of a sudden starts talking about Jesus. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? It's almost like the driving force. Uh, When Paul begins to talk about grace, he's got to say something about Jesus. And therefore he says, God has graced you. And how did he do so? In the beloved, which, which is who? The Son of God. That's how you're graced. He's given His favor toward you in Christ. Do you know a particular text of Scripture that highlights this for us? Do you remember the transfiguration? God manifests Himself in all of His glory. Jesus does this, right? So so His disciples can see and get a picture of what He really is in all of His glory. And they see Him metamorphosed before them. And then they also see who? Moses. And Elijah. Why Moses? Law. Why Elijah? Prophets. Who fulfilled both of those? The Son of God. And remember what happens when they begin to talk about, well, let's just worship all three. What does the Father say? No. You hear my Son only, and then the Bible tells us that the Father says of the Son, this is my beloved Son in whom I am pleased. Now, this doesn't magnify the qualities of the adopted. We like to read this word graced and we think that, oh, great was me. No, folks, it never magnifies the qualities of the adopted. It magnifies the qualities of the Father and the Son who adopted you. It is magnifying the one who actually gives the grace. It magnifies the one who is the giver of grace. He, the beloved Son, has graced you. Wow, the great channel of adoption comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Our God chose us, predestined us, adopted us for His own pleasure in His beloved Son. So we magnify not our qualities as the adopted. We magnify the qualities of the one who adopted us. 
That's what this text is about. We are here this day to worship the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that the only true one, totally loved and accepted by the Father, is the Son? So if you're not accepted in the beloved Son, then you're not accepted at all. You know why? Because of our condition that I just read you in the text. So our acceptance, our adoption, every aspect of it is and has to be through the beloved Son, who really is the only apple of the eye of God. It's through the beloved Son that you become a son and a daughter of God, the beloved Son. Now I want to remind you that beginning in chapter 4, And all the way through chapter 6, we're going to learn what it's like to live as God's sons and daughters. Now, I'm I'm wanting to bring out some application. Are you all ready? Are you? Think about this for a moment. To hear words like adopted and sons and daughters and to the praise of His glorious grace, you ought to be looking at your own life. In other words, there should be some fruit of adoption. There... There ought to be some fruit of, to the praise of His glorious grace. That means that some things in life are more important to you than other things. That means that things you value most in life should be that you are living for God's glory. Is that not true? I mean, we can argue about theology all day long. But I would tell you that if you're not a worshiper, then you're not saved. On the authority of the Bible. If there are things in your life that you value number one above God. How can you be his disciple? It's impossible. No man can come after me unless he denies himself. That's categorically true. You cannot follow Jesus and hang to yourself. Right? It all comes down to theology that you believe ought to drive your life. Right thinking leads to right living. Stinky thinking leads to stinky living. It's just the way it is. And I know that people like to argue about theology, election, chosen, predestination. Show me your life. Show me your life. I don't want to hear about your theology. I want to hear and see it in your life. Does that make sense? Now, I know it's clearly taught in the Bible, and I'll stand on it. I believe it from my radiator to my tailpipe. Every aspect of what's taught in the Bible. However... The proof is in the pudding in your own life. It's between the ears and the heart, 18 inches away, how that the truth of who God is moves your heart and your affections and your life to serve God. Don't talk to me about theology if it's not lived out in your life as a worshiper of the King, as someone who treasures Jesus Christ above all things. Why? Because He is the beloved one that you were chosen in. He's the very one. Don't you love that old song, Redeemed How I Love to Proclaim Redeemed, right? Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed by His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Does that drive your life? I'm redeemed and I'm a child of God. Now folks, lest you haven't figured this out, that comes with responsibility. God didn't save you out of the orphanage of Adam's fallen race in order for you to sit on your blessed assurance. There's something that comes out of this being in the family of God. There's responsibility. 
In other, in other words, being an adopted child of God and being a son and a daughter means more than just a positional thing. You, you're actually living this out in life. Stop and consider the benefits. J.I. Packer says that adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Man, that's a bold statement. Again, justification means that my condition before God the Father is settled in relation to the law of God. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Woo! Right? Judicially, positionally, justification is an awesome, awesome thing. However, I think adoption is even greater because he's your father, you're his son or daughter. We're dealing with relationship here. Of course, you can't have adoption without justification, right? We know this. But think about it for a moment. You have a relationship with the Father. Do you sense this in your life? Are you walking with Him? Are you communing with God? Do you sense that He is your Father and you are His son or His daughter? Is this making sense? I mean, that's what adoption means. You're a part of His family. Think about this. You have access to him. You don't have to go through any priest. No matter what the Catholic Church says. There is but one high priest. And his name is Jesus Christ. He made one sacrifice for our sin for all time. And you have direct access to God at any time through the Son of God. That's awesome to think about. Unhindered access to your Father. We walk with him. We have fellowship with him. We commune with him. In my own life. It's often shameful how I don't take this more seriously. And here's what I know about humanity. If it's true for me, it's true for you. Do you ever just stop in the course of a day and reflect on how you are feeling emotionally because you are not feeling attached to your father? Am I the only one that does that? Are you all awake? Hello. Do you ever sense that nagging, that nagging feeling in your heart that you're away from him? That you miss that koinonia and that fellowship. I'm telling you, God hasn't gone anywhere, right? If we say we have fellowship with Him and we walk in sin, whoo, because He is in the light, wow. If you say you have no sin, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. So what does that demand? Well, it demands us to look at our Father and say, In you is no darkness at all. Therefore, I confess before you that I'm a rotten, good-for-nothing sinner. And Lord, I want to be in fellowship with you. So God, remove anything in my heart standing in the way of my fellowship with you. And isn't that fellowship so sweet? We know what it's like not to be in the best fellowship with an earthly father. You ever been there before? Yep, I felt it on my backside. I felt uh, a woodshed revival. You ever heard about that? My dad did the preaching and I did the screaming. That's a woodshed revival. I know what that means. But just think about this. The benefits. The king of all the universe walks with us and communes with us because of the Son of God. This relationship ought to bring assurance in your life. I am his and he is mine. Does that mean anything to you? The fruit of adoption should be lived out in your life. I am his and he is mine. That's Adoption. Is our father stern? Or is he a manageable deity? In light of American theology. No, you can't manage him. Can't coerce him. He is not a manageable deity. 
He is a very stern father. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Scourges every one of them. And if you do not receive the chastisement of the Lord, then you're an illegitimate child. I say, bring on the discipline. It lets me know I'm a child of the king. Right? We have a father who not only is stern, but is perfectly loving. Now, I wish I was both. I wish I could be stern and perfectly loving. If you say you are, you're wrong, you're wrong and you're a liar. There's no perfect fathers on earth. Raise children, you'll figure that out, right? Think about this for a moment. We have a father who knows best and who disciplines his children, and he does it always out of perfect love. We ought to praise God for that. Now, that's an application of adoption. In the midst of the discipline, we sense from our God and his word that we are his and he will never cast us out. He is a perfect father. Now, I suppose in the earthly realm, there are times when a father would look at a son or a daughter and say, you know what, uh, this was the final straw, and you're out. Some of you may be the person who was out, <laughs> right? When it just comes to the end, and whatever kind of damage was going on, the, your earthly father says, you know, enough's enough. But I want to remind you that in the spiritual realm, our God will never cast out his sons and daughters. Never. He will, in fact, discipline you, but he will not cast you out. Listen to this Puritan, John Owen. Be fully assured in your heart that the Father loves you. Are you this morning fully assured that the Father loves you? Have fellowship with the Father in his love. Have no fears or doubts of his love for you. And listen to this one. The greatest burden you can lay on the Father and the greatest unkindness you can do to him is not to believe that he loves you. Wow. You know, the Puritans know how to take the knife and twist it, don't they? Unkindness to God. The Spirit of God that has invaded your heart. God chose you in him before the foundation of the world. That's past tense. He adopted you in a present space-time continuum. The very day you trusted him as your Lord. Y'all remember that? And then there's a future understanding of salvation that's coming in this text. Uh, the inheritance that's in the future. But I want you to think about something. The day you trusted Christ, the spirit of the living God, the spirit of adoption, invaded your heart. And Romans 8.15 says that now you cry out, Abba, Father. Now, divine introspection is a good thing, right? Spiritual introspection. When's the last time you ask yourself, Lord, am I really your child? Has this spirit of adoption invaded my heart where I cry out to my God, you are my father. Abba, father. Now either the scripture's right or it's not. And the scripture says when you are saved, you're given the spirit of adoption wherein you cry out, Abba, father. Application, fruit, rubber hitting the road. Is he your father? Do you cry out to him, Abba, Father? I want to remind you that you are joint heirs with Christ. All the benefits of sonship are given to you if you are in Christ Jesus. What we have inherited in Christ is a whole lot more than any money you can ever get in this world. Some of you think that your 401k is going down the tubes as of yesterday. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen, but we know who the king is. 
and we know he's on the throne. And here's what I do know. God's killed a lot of rulers in the past, and he'll do it again in the future. And he might even kill us. And if he does, he's just in doing it. Right? I mean, how many kings have been on the throne, alive one day in the Bible, and gone the next? I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just trying to tell you God has all things in control. Folks, what you have in this world, you can't take it with you. But what you have in Jesus Christ is an eternal inheritance that can never be taken away from you. Undefiled. Unfading. Right? It will never fade away. That's what you have in Jesus Christ. Whom do I have in heaven but thee? And besides thee I desire nothing on earth. Though my heart and my flesh may fail. I've seen that this week in Miss Carol Robinson. Mr. Jerry Heimdall. Hmm. Right? God is the strength of my heart and my inheritance forever. The day that you trusted Jesus as your Lord by grace through faith and trusted Christ alone for salvation. Friend, don't you understand that you inherited God? Don't you realize that? That's what he gives you. Himself. And nothing is greater than having God himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. To God alone be the glory. Father, we thank you for adoption. We thank you for your redemptive plan. We thank you that you've told us that you alone, need, you alone receive the glory and no human being will ever boast in your sight. Father, that means that when we stand before you one day, I don't think we'll ever be nudging our brother beside us and saying things like, well, there were a lot more goats in this world. Isn't it amazing that I was the goat he got? That won't happen. It'll be all of us bowing before God, the Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, and saying, thank you, dear God, that you would save a sinner like me. That we were no better than anybody else. But Jesus Christ alone gets the glory for saving sinners like us. No man will ever boast in your presence. Salvation is the work of God. And we praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Did you know, do you know that you can today be a child of the King? You can today be redeemed and forgiven and brought into the family of God. Did you know that? The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That's how you're saved. You believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I hope you have. All right. Before, remember, I'll be in the hallway outside. If there's anything that you'd like to share with me and talk to me about, if you need to know the Lord, there's a lot of guys you can stiff arm, and I guarantee you they'll share the gospel with you, tell you how you can be saved. Okay, a couple of house cleaning things. Um, David and Nancy Burton, where are y'all? Stand up back there. Let them take a bow. I'm just kidding. Uh, this couple, uh, they've uh, lived around Ozark now for a little while. They actually were missionaries for Samaritan Purse in Africa, and they were also with Missionary Aviation for seven years. And so they, they're back here in Ozark, and their heart's desire is to unite uh, through transfer of letter from a sister Southern Baptist church to be members of First Baptist Church Ozark. Okay? Um, they also are committed to take the new members class. All right? So what we ask is that either prior to your joining, you take the four week class, 
or you commit, you join, and then commit to take the four-week class uh, to understand what church membership is. Okay? So maybe you're thinking about that. You'd like to become a member of this church. You're not a member. Well, you've got to know Jesus first, right? And, and be willing to or have already followed in believer's baptism. And then uh, we, we welcome you to be a part uh, of this church family, living life under the Word of God. Amen? So, yes, thanks, Don. That was next. You jumped me. That's why he helps me, right? So, this coming Wednesday night is when the new members class starts. Most of our public stuff we shout out to you said 6 p.m., you can come at 6, but we're not going to start at 6, all right? We're going to start at 6.30 because I have many of the people that are coming that can't get off work fast enough. So the youth group meets to 7.45, right? So we'll start at 6.30 and go to 7.30, all right? So if you want to take that class. Now, again, if you have been a member at FBCO for 30 years and you've never taken a membership class, maybe a good idea to drop in on it, okay, and, and learn. So we invite you to come. You've got to let Don know. If you want to be a part of it, it will be starting Wednesday night, North Fellowship Hall, 6.30. Okay? Tonight, we will have a church meeting, and we'll talk about the necessary need of a uh, building out back to uh, house all the clothing of the ministry we do for the community and least of these. Okay? We've had thousands of people come through this facility. The opportunities to give clothing away and to share the gospel... Uh, to me, this is kind of a no-brainer, so we'd like to, for you to come back tonight and let's discuss this. In addition to that, we're going to get a long, we're going to get a uh, long range, I started to say. We're going to get a um, remodeling update from our committee to tell you where we are in thinking about the remodeling from the west doors all the way through the auditorium, okay? So, 6 o'clock tonight. Hope you'll come back for that. All right. If you volunteered... Uh, with my challenge to you, I needed 100 volunteers, then I want you to come to the front. All 100 volunteers. Well, actually, there are probably about 75 of you because there were 25 or so in the first. All right? You guys stay seated. Don't leave me. Volunteers, because you got a vital role in this too, Okay? All right, come on up. Now, when the service is over, you guys stay, and Don has an envelope for you, okay? You guys have just joined ETC. No. <laughs> you would be surprised how many people hit me up about that. Pastor, is this about ETC? So, no. Uh, what, what really happened is this. We had an anonymous giver, givers, give $10,000. We have covid we have Thanksgiving, we have Christmas. And in these envelopes is $100. And we're asking you to be a blessing to others. You, you may know, you may know who needs this $100 right now. I'm telling you who won't get it, and you better not give it to them. No organization, no donation, no charity, not even the Christmas thing that we're doing separate. This money is not for that. This is for you to look for needs in your circle of influence and bless somebody in Jesus' name. Okay? Again, you may know who that $100 needs to go to as soon as I said that. It may be that 10, 10, 
across the board. It may be a meal where you go eat and you bless someone. You need to have a conversation with them of why you're doing what you're doing. Okay? Don't just throw the money down there and walk off. Woo, I did what the pastor asked. No. <laughs> and then furthermore, inside of your envelope, there are other instructions. Okay, to help you. And we would really like for you, my email address is in there. Tell me your story. What happened? Uh, who, who did you minister to? What did it look like? Uh, how did they respond? Uh, did you get to share the gospel? Something like that. All right. So all you people out here that didn't volunteer, shame. No, I'm kidding. Uh, you know that's not the goal. The goal is we, we might do this sometime in years to come again. Uh, don't know if someone's going to give that kind of money again. They might. But if they do, praise God. But if they don't, here's the deal. You folks don't have $100 given to you freely, but you've got money. And you may want to say, you know what, I'm going to be a part of this, even though I didn't volunteer, I want to be a part of this. And furthermore, would you pray, covenant to pray for these people and the total group of 100 about the gospel-centered opportunities that we will have based upon this ministry. Okay? Everybody, everybody good with that? All right. To God be the glory. Don's going to help. Uh, distribute these after David leaves us out of, leads us out of here. You, you guys have a good week. Don't forget about the meeting tonight at 6. As we're dismissed, let's sing together. Turn your eyes. And the pastor referenced uh, tran the transfiguration. I've got to say this in verse 8. It says, the father says, And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Let's lift up our eyes to Jesus. Let's stand. Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Oh, Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. God bless.